This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey folks, it's Forrest and Scott from the Astonishing Legends podcast. We just found out that Mint Mobile has come out with an amazing wireless deal for this holiday season. If this was an episode of our show, I'd think this was a myth. It's too good to be true. But the thing is, like some of the legends we cover, this deal is true. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. I'm not sure how they're able to do this. Oh, wait, I do know how they can do it. They're online only. No stores, no traditional retail costs. Mint Mobile passes that savings to you. That's unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Like we say on our show, sometimes the unbelievable is true, and this deal proves it. Switch to Mint Mobile now and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. Keep your same number and all of your contacts. That's right, listeners. For a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months free by going to mintmobile.com slash wireless. That's mintmobile.com slash wireless. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash wireless. Researching this, it was worse than I even thought. And then I saw UN briefings and just all of it. And the UN saying, oh, we can't do anything about it. You want to go down the rabbit hole, you go do it. Students of Hailsham are special. Keeping yourselves well, keeping yourselves healthy inside is of paramount importance. None of you will do anything except live the life that has already been set out for you. And sometime around your third donation, your short life will be complete. That's what you're created to do. We did observe human cells are starting to become the early progenitors for a heart, for example, and pancreas and muscles inside a developing pig embryo. There was once a boy who had a big barrel for all his friends and then ran off beyond the boundary. They found him two days later in the woods, tied to a tree with his hands and feet cut off. The worries that whether we can give the pig consciousness or whether we can generate a, a sentient human and pig chimeras. Human animal chimeras are gestating on U.S. research farms. And then I knew what the next line would be. They're growing human tissue in cows and pigs. We didn't have the gallery in order to look into your souls. We 
We had the gallery to see if you had souls at all. Hello and welcome to Science Dish, the second episode of Series 3. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr Michael Brooks. Hello. Go on, just say a bit more for once. Hello and welcome back. No? No, not really. We'll stick with the Um, hello. So we've got this, I mean, as you obviously already know, because you've listened to the first episode, which was a good one about Arrival, we've got a new format. We have tightened things up and we're now going with one question, one scientist, and then the ever-present, relatively informed chat. (laughs) (laughs) Emphasis on relatively. Now, I'm, I'm actually genuinely super pumped about this episode because since we started this podcast about three years ago i have been banging Banging on on. (laughs) about one book that i think we should do it on it's one of my favorite books and because i have little to no power in this uh uh, in this organization and i will call it an organization um (laughs) everyone has ignored me until now Um, and the producer gods have smiled upon me and said yes this week we can talk about Never Let Me Go by the now Nobel Prize winning author Kazuo Ishiguro. Oh. Honestly, I can't tell you how good this book is. Uh, I think just, have you read it? Yes, I've read it. And? I loved it. I loved it. But Great I, book. I, I, so why I haven't we the, done it before? I saw the film first. I mean, saw you must be the a, film first. You You're be. an absolute monster. <laughs> You're not a fan of the film? I haven't seen the film out of principle. No. Really? No. Oh, well, I didn't know you had principles. Yes, yes, only about Never Let Me Go. <laughs> <laughs> so, sort of very, I just, I kind of don't really want to give it, give it away, but we're going to have to give it away, aren't we? But maybe pause this now, spend seven hours reading the book, and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> the concept is, you've got these three people, and they don't realise... Uh, until quite far on in the book, that they are just clones. They've been cloned so that they can subsequently donate their organs to other people who need them. And that unfolds very slowly and beautifully in the book. And there's lots of kind of analysis of identity and and love, and it's just beautiful. And in the film, I think they give it away quite early, don't they? This is why I didn't watch it. They do, but it's it's still a good film, honestly. I, I like the film a lot. I've seen it a couple of times. I've got nothing bad to say about it apart from Kira Knightley's in it. Not a huge. Oh, you don't fan. like Kira Knightley? Not a huge fan. Who is it? It's Kira Knightley, Andrew Garfield, and Kerry Mulligan. Kerry Mulligan. Mm. So yeah, those are the three central characters. And the thing with these poor old clones is that ultimately they can only give a certain number of organs before they. <laughs> um, I think the euphemism is complete, which is basically die. Yeah. That's the setup. I could talk about it for hours. Um, and I have a feeling you're going to. Yes. The, the manipulation and the love and the jealousy, ageing, a lot of stuff about ageing in there. But because this is science-ish, we're going to focus on the, well, the science bit, which is harvesting human clones for organs. Yes. And that is going to be our, our question this week. Do we need to breed human clones for organ transplants? Yes. What? Don't we? No, well, no, we're going to... I mean, you can't just answer it like that. Oh, come on. This is finally What's... one question that scientists can answer. And also, I mean, I don't, the answer is no. Anyway. <laughs> but we'll get into this. Look, we'll, have this. we'll have a proper discussion about this. But before we do, 
we need to answer why would we need more organs in the first place? At the moment, there, there has been a worldwide shortage of organ donors. Uh, my name is Jun Wu. Um, I'm assistant professor in UT Southwestern in Dallas. Uh, in the United States alone, there's over 100,000 people are on, on the waiting list, waiting for the organs to become available. And um, roughly, there are about 22 person will die every day uh, because of the lack of organ donors in the United States alone. And uh, this certainly has been an issue for the past decades. And um, the main reason uh, for this is that the demand for organ transplantation has rapidly increased all over the world during the past decades due to the increased incidence of vital organ failure and the rising success uh, and also greater improvement in the post-transplant outcome. So uh, the combination of both create uh, the shortages of organ donors. Nobody's using the word cure quite yet, and there have been plenty of people sounding the alarm about it. Its name is xenotransplantation, putting animal cells into humans. It's controversial and pioneering medical research, and the charge is being led right here at this laboratory complex in the industrial backlogs of South Auckland. To address these shortages, there has been many technologies has been um, created or generated tried to solve this issue of organ donor shortages. And one of them is people trying to use organs from a different species. We call it the xenotransplantation. Basically, uh, you take the organ from a species such as a pig, which is a similar uh, in terms of organ size and physiology to humans. And you hope that we can use that organs for transplant. But the problem there is um, there is immune rejection. Also, there is a concerns and worries about transmission of the, the viruses from the pig to human. And other technologies, for example, people try to use stem cells, try to print using 3D printing technology, try to print organ. But again, the issue is oh, we, we, we don't have a fully functional organ. Some of the organs you need a function rather than just a structure, for example, the liver, and just simply printing an organ will not do it. This bioprinting idea is absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, I, I sort of find 3D printing mind-boggling anyway, but bioengineers have looked at 3D printing and thought, yeah, fine, we can just put sort of plastic and stuff into this, but what about if we put living cells? Yes. And start, you know, layer by layer, printing out tissue or printing out organs. So you could have all the information you need to duplicate yourself on a microdot. Well, uh, so but the question is, there's no, we can get the data, it's turning it back into something is the problem. Does it work well? I mean, it works relatively well. As, as Dr. Jun said, we're not in a position where we can print out a functioning heart. The idea of being able to use inks, for example, that are alive, um, is really what takes this to the next level, that what is coming out of the printer is is alive exactly when we print it, it's alive when we grow it in the incubator, and it's alive when it goes in the patient. But we can do stuff with tissue. You need a, a kind of scaffold, right. which will be made out of collagen or something like that, yeah. some kind of hypogel, so that you print onto that so that it kind of keeps its form, and you're printing out these tiny little kind of biospheres that are sort of like the ink, 
right, from, from right, an inkjet yeah, printer, yeah. but they contain you know thousands of cells. They just dot onto the, your your bit of scaffold in the right shape, and then you put down another layer of scaffold, and then more more of your little bio ink. Gradually, it builds up until you have the shape and form that you want, and then you remove the scaffold. You can kind of dissolve it away, or it will just disintegrate. It coalesces, and kind of nature, amazingly, the cells kind of know what to do. Yeah. And initially, you think that's incredible. That feels like magic. But in essence, that's kind of what we've evolved to do. That's exactly what is happening in your body anyway. Cells just kind of know the right cells will migrate to the right place. You're using because you're using stem cells. So yeah, okay. Of, it's mental. It's absolutely mental. And you feel like there will probably be a point where we can print out a functioning organ. More likely a simple one. It's pretty good. It does sound science fiction and it does sound crazy, but when you actually think about the medical applications to it, instead of just putting an artificial piece of metal or plastic into someone's body, you're actually helping them use their own cells to make a body part, which I think is a fantastic, a fantastic opportunity for medicine. So this is all really, really complicated. I mean, what happened to just taking a pig's heart and putting it into a human being? (laughs) I mean, do you want that? I'm not saying me necessarily, but, you know, it used to be an option, didn't it? I don't think it's ever really been an option because of the immune rejection. Oh. I think you're never going to be able to... Yeah, but I think there's also problems with viruses, as, as Dr. Jun said. There's a couple of ways around it. So you're, you're talking about xenotransplantation. And what you can do is kind of have a, a halfway house where you get a pin. <laughs> this is really horrible, but fine. You get a pig's heart. Fine. And the pig heart is roughly the same size and physiology as a human yeah. heart. But you know that it will be rejected by a human body. So you effectively, you wash the pig heart with a substance that's a bit like shampoo. So you Bare just, minimum, isn't it? Wash you it. just give it... A, yeah, definitely wash it. <laughs> but you're really giving it a good old wash. And and in something that is a bit like shampoo. So right. just, you know, really scrub it down. Wash and go. <laughs> and uh, Maybe use a bit of conditioner. And it strips out... You won't even need it. It strips out all of, effectively, the pig material. So pig cells, except for a kind of protein scaffold. Okay. So you end up with this heart and I mean, you can Google the images if you must, that is just ghostly white. <laughs> that looks like, ah, oh, it's horrible. That is the structure of the heart. In a building, if you wanted to renovate it or repair it, uh, you'd go in, you'd knock down drywall or get rid of you know, cabinets and stuff like that. And basically, we're going into the matrix and doing that. Uh, by perfusing solutions and detergents, uh, we're getting rid of all the cells. You put that into a kind of little bioreactor tank so you can supply it with oxygen and and, and nutrients. And then you get blood and bone marrow uh, stem cells from the person you're going to try and put the heart into. You inject that into the scaffold of the ghost heart. That then fills in the gaps. And et voila, you get a functional human heart that is effectively the heart of the person that you're going to put it into because it's grown from their stem cells. So no problem with the rejection. You just pop it in. Nice. Really one. nice. Really nice. Can I, can I get one? I don't think you can yet. Because I think I'm going to need one. I've decided that, you know, probably heart arteries, if I can get replacement for those, I think I'm good. I mean, arteries is tough. I know it's a big ask, but I'm just saying if, if people could work on that, yeah, I don't know if you're if you're listening, guys, but if you get working on arteries for Brooksy, that'd be ideal. Last night, we were treating a patient who came in 
and developed sudden onset heart failure and is now currently on a, on a machine that supports her heart and lungs. So uh, seeing these patients and seeing that clinical need and you know, these patients' families and understanding where all this research funnels into ultimately, which is helping patients and developing tools to, to uh, improve lives of these patients and end organ failure, that's, that's really what gets us going, I think, and what's, what keeps us going. The ghost heart isn't, isn't quite there yet. Okay. Um, but what about this? Somehow you grow organs in another animal before you kill them. So <laughs> the organ that you want, you just use it as a host. So imagine, if you can, for a moment, that I am a rat, and I'm a rat who needs a pancreas. <laughs> so in order to, to see whether this approach is possible or is efficient, first we need a experimenting using two different species. So um, we choose two different rodent species. One of them is mice. One of them is rat. Evolutionary, they're relatively closer. Uh, they were separated about 20 million years ago. But the rat is much bigger than mouse. And the gestation period of the rat and mice is very similar, but still there's two days difference. So the idea is to disable using genetic tools such as a CRISPR to disable a particular organ development of a mouse so that the mouse will, will have this defect. They will not have a certain organ developed when they are born, for example, a pancreas. But all the other organs are normal. They're uh, the right size, the right location. So idea is to complement this defect from the mouse using a normal stem cells from the rat. So because the rat stem cells was not genetically modified, so they can give rise to the pancreas inside the mouse that doesn't have a pancreas. None of you will do anything except live the life that has already been set out for you. You will become adults, but only briefly. Before you're old, before you're even middle-aged, you will start to donate your vital organs. That's what you're created to do. And sometime around your third or fourth donation, your short life will be complete. So first we take the one cell embryo from the mouse. So the one cell embryo, we call it the zygote, is a union of the sperm and egg after life starts. So we deliver the CRISPR tools, the gene editing tools that can go specifically to certain genes and either insert or delete that particular gene. And in this case, we use a CRISPR tool to disable a gene, which is called PDX1. And PDX1 is a gene is very important for the pancreas development. If we delete that gene, the mouse will now develop a pancreas. Now, all the cells and organs and tissues are generated from this one-cell embryos. So essentially, all the cells in our body, I mean, in the mice, will not have that copy of the particular gene. So the mice will not be able to generate the pancreas. But with the rest stem cell, has this ability to give rise to all the tissues and organs in adult organism as well. But we can culture them, we can grow them in unlimited quantity in a culture dish. 
and we can deliver these red stem cells inside these genetically modified mouse embryos, so that these red stem cells can contribute to the pancreas development inside the mouse. Which the mouse itself, because of the lack of the particular gene PDX1, cannot give rise to a pancreas. So we ended up with a chimera that majority of the cells are coming from the mouse, but in the pancreas, the majority of the cells are actually coming from the rat. Therefore, we enrich the rat stem cells inside the pancreas of the mouse, so that we can generate the red pancreas inside the mouse. And also a red heart and a red eye inside the mouse. Naughty, naughty bastards! <laughs> so basically, you cut the the appropriate mouse gene out or genes. You put the rat stem cells in, bang, 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 and you've got yourself a, a well, a very ratty pancreas <laughs> in a mouse. And that's not the end of it. Doctor Jun's got more. So after the rat and mouse study, we were trying. Next is to look for a host species that is more compatible with human, and the pig is one of the best candidates because pig organs are very similar to human in terms of their size and also in terms of their, of their function. So we we choose the pig as a host to generate human organs using human stem cells, and the approach is essentially the same as the rat and mice studies. And we disable the same gene, the PDX1, in the pig embryos, and we were able to generate the pig that doesn't have a pancreas. And the second question is whether any human stem cell type can contribute to the early pig development and give rise to a human pig chimeric embryos. Which is this is essential for this experiment because we before our study we really didn't know whether any human stem cells are able to. Generate a human pig chimeric embryos and contribute to the pig development. The reason why is because human and pig, although they are very similar in terms of organ size and physiology, but they are very distant、uh, in evolution. They separated about ninety-five million years ago, about five times longer than rat and mice. And we know that the further the evolutionary distance, the less chance of a species are able to. Go into another species and generate a chimera, and we tried five different cell types.、Uh, they are they are cultured in different culture conditions, and we test them one by one, and only some of them can. And we did observe in those cases, human cells are starting to become the early progenitors for a heart, for example, and pancreas and muscles inside a developing pig embryos. And we were very excited. And now we are actively combining these two technologies. One is using CRISPR to disable the PDX1 gene or any genes inside a pig. The other is to combine the human cells that has ability to go into the early pig development and generate pig human chimeric embryos. Combine those two together to see whether we can enrich the human cells. Inside a pig pancreas, so that we can generate a human pancreatic beta cells. I love all this stuff. <laughs> I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure the pigs feel quite as excited about it. I mean, they they really did luck out with this, didn't they? I think. Look, it's not perfect, but one thing that makes them quite a good 
subject for this is that we eat them anyway. So if you imagine, I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily sure, they're sure a disclaimer on the menu. Say, oh yeah, fair enough. <laughs> no, but if you go to go, oh, why's this? Um, why's this bacon so cheap? Ah, well, it might have a few human cells in it. <laughs> Can you imagine cross contamination in the abattoirs? There is going to be a situation, presumably, where if you got to a point where you could grow human hearts in pigs, and then you're killing the pig. Some unscrupulous uh, meat I provider. I know a butcher or two. Yeah, yeah it's going to say, look, you are, if it's half price, <laughs> yeah, Darren's <laughs> buying it up. And he's like, great stuff. This is high quality bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it just, it's only cheap because it's cheap. <laughs> <laughs> tastes a bit, um, was it, it tastes a bit funny, Darren. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I can genuinely see that happening. It's it's awful. (laughs) It's not so much bacon as sausages, Michael. I I think sausages is probably the way forward for you. Uh, Sausages is absolutely fine. I mean, they're putting some horrible stuff in there anyway. I mean, get a bit of human pancreatic beta cells in there. Why not? (laughs) I should just point out that at this stage, we are talking about um, embryos that are only living to 28 days. Um, Or not only living to... cutting them off at 28 days okay. so we haven't got a situation where we've got fully grown pigs uh, with organs we've got little embryos that have these kind of collections of human cells in some of their organs so i don't think you're going to be getting a human heart out of a pig anytime soon however we might be able to get pancreatic beta cells um, which could be very helpful with people with diabetes yeah i need a heart though yeah, you're so, really you're, you're yeah, gunning for yeah, this. I'm gunning, gunning for, for this heart. Yeah, I you? presume this stuff is quite tightly controlled. It's very tightly controlled at the moment because it's an ethical minefield. <laughs> With this type of experiments, they're always going to generate two type of reactions. One is excitement because this offers a new possibilities, and the other one is concern. The concern comes from if the human cells can contribute to the brain development of the pig, all the germ cells of the pig, these concerns become really real because the worry is that whether we can give the pig consciousness or whether we can generate the sentient human and pig chimeras. The boundaries between what it means to be human and what it means to be non-human can become quite blurred. Um, Also, you know... it's not great for the animals. There's there's risk for them. There's no benefits for them. It may help a lot of people, but the moral status associated with this is a deep, deep, deep question. That's why we need more studies in this interspecies camera. I think the rat and mice will be a perfect system to answer the question. I'm going to tell you one example. So when we generate the camera, when we put the rest stem cells inside the mouse, and all the cameras that we observe is always the mouse size. Bear in mind that the rat is almost five times bigger than the mouse. But when we put the rest stem cells inside the mouse, all of the cameras are mouse size. This experiment tells me that the host environment, the host species, actually dictate the species identity. Another example is that the rat doesn't have gallbladder, but the mouse has a gallbladder due to evolutionary reasons. But when we put the rat stem cells inside the mouse, actually we will be able to see the rat stem cell can contribute to the gallbladder in mouse. 
And this experiment also tells me that the host species are actually dictate this identity of the of the donor cells. That word chimera from Greek mythology is meant to elicit fear. But the scientists argue they are trying to solve a problem and save lives, not create a monster. Yes, I mean, my favourite phrase in there was definitely sentient pig-human chimera. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he said, you know, it's a mixture of excitement and concern. I'm mainly excitement. Yeah, and I'm mainly horror. Are you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you had me at the ghost heart, to be honest. (laughs) The ghost heart is really the tame end of this (laughs) stuff. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, what happens when you put a human brain stem cells into a pig and it starts to become aware of itself in, in a way that maybe pigs are already, but you know, this, one, this one's thinking, I'm not like other pigs. Why is he waving that axe around? <laughs> I don't know if they use axes in abattoirs anymore. <laughs> no, <I don't> <laughs> um, or ever. So essentially, the, the question is, could you somehow disable the gene or array of genes responsible for brain development in a pig and then put some human brain stem cells in there to, I don't uh, see why you to weave their magic, <laughs> so to speak, and then create a brain that was predominantly formed of human cells. That would be a human brain. Yeah, but it might have a few pig cells in there as well. Yeah. Now, Dr. Jeune is saying, even if you did that, it's still going to be a pig brain because the identity of the thing is defined by the host I mean, I don't want to say that Dr. Jun is wrong, <laughs> but I think there is... It's convenient, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I, no, no, it's still a pig, guys. It's yeah, still, just a yeah. pig. How but, comes it's talking? <laughs> I feel like I'm in Animal Farm here. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte's um, web little, takes a horrific turn. Little throwback to the previous episode for you. How's it got universal grammar? <laughs> also, there are experiments, and, and as you know what I'm about to talk about, what am I about to talk about? I've no idea. You did, I'm the sorry, quails... I'm, I'm, I'm still horrified. I was just going through the pigs that can talk and, and feel like they they might be human. Stop thinking about Wrong that. Species. I'm going to talk about my favourite um, okay, experiment okay, let's with, do the, the quails with the quails. Again. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever done the quails. I yes, think we've done I've the just quails. talked to you about the quails loads. <laughs> so there was an experiment by Evan Balaban at Harvard and he did a similar kind of thing where he got chickens and he put some i think they were just quail stem cells into the into the embryo i don't know if they were brain stem cells no, it's I a don't. kind of it's a kind of thing that for the story to really flow it'd be better if i knew anyway some stem cells <laughs> from a quail and the chickens hatched and you looked at me just like ah chickens so very much what Dr. Yeah, yeah, exactly. saying. it's fine it's just the host it's the host animal it's not a problem and then he monitored their head movements and pecking by painting their beaks with fluorescent paint and the chickens now don't peck and move their heads like chickens they do it like quails so in some way the chickens have become quaily <laughs> that is where the issue is yeah because if you're doing a similar thing with the pig at some point the pig is going to be getting increasingly humany yeah, whatever to that use means. a technical term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that that is an issue that nobody will know what that's going to be like until we do it. No. You, you think, well, surely we're not going to do that anyway. But we've yeah, we put are. human glial cells into mice, haven't we? Yeah. Um, and glial cells are the are support cells in the brain. And then the mice show cognitive improvement. Yeah. And again, you'd go, well, yeah, but that's just, it's just making their brain more efficient. It's not making them more human-like. But at some point... 
Ever heard the phrase slippery slope? It is a classic slippery slope. Kathy H and Tommy D. I remember you both. Kathy, a bright girl and so creative. And Tommy, a big heart and terrible rages. You have to understand, Hailsham was the last place to consider the ethics of donation. We used your art to show what you were capable of. To show that donor children are all but human. That we were providing an answer to a question no one was asking. It's interesting to think about how you legislate this this stuff, though. So, at the minute, if uh, a chimp attacks a human, then the chimp gets put down because the chimp is, isn't granted any rights yeah. in, in our legal system yeah. or, or anywhere. But then if you had a chimp that had some human brain cells again it's it's your slippery slope it's like at what point do you say that this chimp has reached a level of sentience or consciousness that it does need to have rights and therefore would be tried in a court of law what's your answer Brooklyn? <laughs> i've just is, asked you a question it would just be down to some crusty old judge somewhere who probably doesn't have you know scientific background to understand this ah, what, like us <laughs> I mean, these these are difficult issues, aren't they? And yeah. also, you know, what happens if we suddenly have, you know, the ability to grow a human heart or another organs inside a pig, and then we're slaughtering like a million pigs a year to get through the organ transplant list? You know, is that a good thing, or would we say that's kind of problematic? And also, you know, would we say, you know, if these things become widely available, you can just have a replacement lung or a replacement heart. Don't worry about looking after yourself too much. It gives rise to complacency about looking after your own body (laughs) entirely. If you think, well, yeah, I am going to smoke 60 a day because I know I can get me some new lungs. Yeah, It's the old de-extinction thing, isn't it? If you think you can bring, bring them back, why bother conserving them? Yeah. I don't know how you mitigate that. Well, maybe by saying, okay, you can have a new organ, but it has to come from another human being. And you just have to wait. Or maybe we need to breed human clones and, and say, ask them their permission. Well, I, I think one thing that is pretty certain here, um, um, now we're finally getting around to answering the question, is we will not need human clones. Well, you say that. I do say that. You, you I've s- just given you a lot of options. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of None options. of them none human of, cloning. Yeah, but none of them entirely satisfactory either. I'm not sure I'm more comfortable with breeding pigs just to grow organs. So you think it would be better to be killing humans for their organs, cloned humans, so that you can enjoy a hedonistic lifestyle? Well, we don't have to call it killing. We could Mm. call it completion. And they might be okay with it. At least we could ask their permission. Whereas with the pig... That's, I mean, in the book, that is not what is happening. (laughs) No, but I'm saying, you know, Ishiguro might not have the whole take on it. You know, maybe people would volunteer for it, like they volunteered for a one-way trip to Mars. If you ask people to return to darkness, the days of lung cancer, breast cancer, motor neuron disease, they'll simply say no. We used to get two or three couples like you a year. Not so much these days. <laughs> You're the first for quite a while. To, to apply for a deferral. There are no deferrals. And they never have been. So go on then, what do you think is most likely 
to be the sort of dominant uh, form of organ transplantation? Are we going to be 3D bioprinting organs? Are we going to be using sort of pig-human chimeras? Or actually, I read a thing saying that the cow might be more suitable. I don't know how you feel about that. Just because the gestation period is similar to humans. It's funny because I don't have a big problem eating these things, mm. but I'm not sure I really like the idea of just farming them for their organs at yeah, all. Yeah, but you would also be able to eat them. Would you, though? Yeah. I'm not sure From you Darren. We've <laughs> established this. <laughs> or... Well, no, I'm going to say 3D printing because I think 3D printing of organs is the thing that can really take off well. I think we can make that work. Please, let's not farm pigs for organs. Oh, you look quite sad when you said that. Bless you. Didn't I make you feel like you were the only man? Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr Michael Brooks. The producer was Max Sanderson, with sound design by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Dr Jun Wu, who spoke to producer Max whilst he was holidaying. Much appreciated. If you like this show, which you did, just to be clear, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We want that number one spot back, and we really, really, really want it. Good stuff. There you go. You don't need the fucking insert. Not you hyped up. <laughs> Thinking about Joshua hammering Eubank Jr. <laughs> with a penguin. <laughs> okay. <laughs>